Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. So for me, when I was really young, my mom, who had married someone at the time who didn't know Jesus, thought it was important for me to know Jesus and go to church, even though she wasn't presently attending church, and it really wasn't an option for her. So she would take me over to my grandmother's every Saturday night. My grandmother, um, who did know Jesus, would wake up and take me with her to church on Sunday mornings. It was in that time when I was in about fourth grade when I made a decision for Christ. So even though my mom couldn't be as personally involved as she wanted to be, I am who I am because of my mom. So happy Mother's Day. We are so thankful that you are here. Uh, We love our moms. And today we're actually gonna talk about Pentecost. Pentecost, and I'm gonna transition back to moms here in a second, but Pentecost uh, was a day in the church when God the Father and God the Son sends the Spirit in a powerful, audible, visible way and launches the church. We're gonna look at it in Acts chapter two. Sometimes we think that that's all that Pentecost is about, that it was a moment in time. But actually, Pentecost launched something that changes you and I every single day. It changes our family dynamics. It changes how we look at each other. I would summarize it this way. Pentecost empowers the church and each family to share the love of Christ. Pentecost empowers the church and each family to share the love of Christ. So Jesus called his disciples to this mission, this mission to make disciples who make more disciples. And he said, we're going to do this under my authority and in the power of my name. But then Jesus goes on to say, but this is going to happen by being directed and internally empowered by this person called the Holy Spirit, who I'm going to send to fill you and direct you and prepare you for this launching of the church. So today, we're going to look at the preparation for Pentecost. We're going to look at the moment of Pentecost and then how Pentecost both launches the church and impacts your and my daily life in our families, as moms, as dads, and as kids. So when it comes to the preparation for Pentecost, it actually started in a conversation in the Old Testament. Joel, a minor prophet in the Old Testament, started talking about Pentecost back in chapter two of Joel. There was a point where God basically tells the people that judgment is coming, but after judgment comes, something else is going to happen. And in chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, it says this. And afterwards, after this punishment, after this judgment, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now, notice this is an Old Testament reference. So when God says to them, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, they would have stopped and scratched their head. What do you mean all people? Because in the Old Testament, oftentimes it was just about one people, the Jews, the Israelites, and God saying something different is going to happen. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your younger men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So in days yet to come, this is going to happen. And in verse 32, it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God's gonna pour out his spirit on all who believe. And then through that, what's gonna happen is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's this huge movement that's gonna take place with the people of God. The people of God are gonna become from all people, not just from one group of people. So this is a huge announcement. 
And Peter quotes this section of Joel in, during Pentecost when he's preaching the gospel. He points to Joel and says, this is now happening. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples in John chapter 15, and he's preparing them for what is to come. And in verses 26 and 27, he says this. When the advocate, some of your versions may say comforter or counselor, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Notice the word he. Jesus describes the one who is coming, the spirit, as a he. It's so easy sometimes as Christians to think of the Holy Spirit as like a, a ghost, um, perhaps like a force or your conscience or a divine influence or maybe even just a stiff breeze. But we just don't understand the Holy Spirit for who he is. He is indeed a he. Christians have the third person of the Trinity living inside of them. A divine person has taken up residence inside of every person who believes. A divine person. Even just the title that he's given in these verses, he is the advocate, the comforter, the counselor. These words speak to his personhood and to his role. For those of you who like Greek words, the Greek word here to describe this is parakletos. And what's being described here is partially counselor, comforter, but there's a big piece of this word that we cannot miss. It's the word advocate. What the Holy Spirit has come to do is to come down to us to plead to us who God is and God's cause. And then also the advocate has filled us so that through us, he will also plead this cause to others. So he is indeed God's advocate to us and to others. Now, in the morning, when you wake up, those of you who are believers in Christ and have the Holy Spirit, you don't see him in the mirror looking back at you. He doesn't do your dishes for you. He doesn't write you notes in the kitchen, have a great day, heart over the eye. He doesn't do that. Um, but his presence is very real. And the Holy Spirit is active every day in your life. He knows all your thoughts he knows your values and he's directing you and he's helping you and he's empowering you. He's helping you remember and see and know God's word. And in fact, all of August this year, we're gonna spend looking at the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he's like, and how he impacts your everyday life. How can you and I be consistently filled with his presence? Jesus also says that because of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus and then we also will testify about Jesus. And this is a theme in all these passages talking about Pentecost. To testify means to share the reality of the love of Jesus through our actions and words. When we testify about Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're on a street corner. You are through your life and your day-to-day -day interactions sharing the love of Jesus through your actions and your words. That's how we are a witness to him. That's how we testify about him. And you might think, well, Jesus was talking to guys that he hung out with every single day. So they have a story to tell. Perhaps you've never gone fishing with Jesus. Well, neither have I. I've never seen him break loaves and multiply fish and feed thousands. I've never seen that. But both you and I, though we've never personally seen him, our lives are daily changed by him. 
Your values, the way you think, what you care about, your actions, your words, all those things are being impacted every single day by Jesus. So you have an active, living testimony. You are a story of God working in the life of a person. So you and I both have testimonies. And the Holy Spirit has come to help us be that witness, to share that testimony with others. You're changed every day by Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing to talk to with your neighbors, your coworkers, and people you care about. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus comes back and he continues talking about this Pentecost thing. He keeps talking about the day when he will send forth his spirit. So in Acts chapter one, verses one through seven, he tells the disciples a couple things. One, he says, all right, stay in Jerusalem. I want you to hang out here. In a few days, I will send him. And you will now be baptized by the Holy Spirit and you will baptize others by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse eight, Jesus gives them a little bit more detail into what's gonna happen. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Catch that again. So Jesus makes the same connection that Joel made. Jesus references the same thought pattern that he had in John 15. When my Holy Spirit comes upon you, what's gonna be different about you is he's gonna fill you in such a way that you will be a living, active ambassador, advocate, missionary, witness, one who testifies about who Jesus is. So the Holy Spirit will testify to you about who Jesus is and then you also will be my witnesses to others. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So even right as Jesus talks about the coming of the Spirit is deeply connected to what we read in Joel. This is about all people. God has never given up on his broken world. So he calls the disciples to impact where they are first, Jerusalem, but he never takes his eye off his intention, his long-term goal to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation come to know him as Lord and Savior. So he prepares them for that. He's basically saying to them, I'm not gonna consolidate you in Jerusalem. I'm not saying hold up together. In fact, it's not just about you. It's about those who have yet to believe, those in Jerusalem, those in your area, and those at the far end of the earth. This isn't just about you. God isn't centralizing his people. He's expanding his people to the very ends of the earth. So then we get to Acts chapter two. And here is Pentecost. The context here is that there are now Jews in Jerusalem from all around the world, speaking all different kinds of languages. This is very strategic. So the day that God sends the Holy Spirit, there will be witnesses from all around the world to what has just happened. It kind of is like a picture of Disney World where you have so many different kinds of people speaking so many different languages all crowded together. That's how Jerusalem feels. And in that day, this is what happens. Chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So they did just what Jesus told them to do. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, actual languages that people were speaking around the world as the Spirit enabled them. Verse five says, 
Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in the wilderness. So there's this violent wind that comes from heaven and fills this house. So you think, well, probably they heard it, but what it says here is that a crowd formed. Just a little bit later in the same chapter, Peter's gonna stand up and share the gospel to 3,000 people. So what kind of crowd has formed? Thousands and thousands of people are now watching what's happening. Like the whole city just unloaded. Like people are waking up. What was that? Did you hear that? Like they're rubbing this dust out of their eyes or grabbing a bagel and they're heading down to find out what happens. And when they show up, this is what they're seeing. They are bewildered. They are overwhelmed. Why? Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? They know that these dudes, who most of them are fishermen, don't know German. They don't know French. They, whatever language were being spoken back then, they knew they don't know those. There weren't the apps back then where you could learn a language like Babel. You couldn't just learn languages back then. It was rare to know these different languages. So they show up and each one of them can hear their language being spoken. There are people talking about this Jesus who died and rose again in their very own language and it blew them away. Verse eight says, then how is it that each one of us hears in our native language? What God was setting up here was an undeniable experience, undeniable. Something has changed. A rushing wind from heaven woke me up this morning. It shook my house, it shook my bed. I grabbed my kids, I grabbed my husband and I went down to find out what was happening. When I saw there were tongues of fire sitting on top of the heads of these different men and women, and they were speaking in languages that I could understand. I'm not from here, but it sounds like there are people that God has designated to share with me some story, some reality, something that I need to hear about. And folks are now hearing the story of Jesus who died on a cross and rose from the dead is now offering forgiveness for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Undeniable earth-shattering, earth-shaking. And then at that moment, Pentecost begins to launch the church. So after this incredible crowd has gathered under God's intention, with God's purpose, strategic, purposeful, they start to hear the gospel. Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel, who Jesus is, what he has done. He references those verses in Joel. 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost come to faith. 3,000. So then very quickly, the church starts to form. So for the next several days and weeks, people are meeting in the temple courts. A lot of these folks are out of towners. They don't have food. They don't have a place to stay. Probably didn't bring enough changes of clothes. So they're sharing everything they have with one another. And they're hanging out in homes and in these courts. And they're listening to the apostles teaching. Incredible things are happening. They're breaking bread together. They're praying. They're fellowshipping. And then in chapter four, persecution starts to break out. Like the religious leaders are not okay with what's happening. All attention has gone away from the religious leaders and onto this Jesus. I thought we killed that guy. I thought we were done with Jesus. Now everyone's talking about him. 3,000 people now claim to be following this, the way, this Jesus. So they grab John, they grab Peter, and the high priest says, you're done. Stop talking about Jesus. And in the power of the Spirit, who now fills and indwells believers, they look back at the high priest and they say, who are we to obey? You or God? 
Basically, you can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, but we're gonna continue preaching this Jesus who we know, this Jesus who saved us. So then the high priest, the Sanhedrin, doesn't know what to do. They just kick him out. And where do they go? They head towards the home of a group of people who believe. They walk into the house and they celebrate. We have been found worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. These are spirit-filled people. They don't shrink away when they get pushed. They step forward into it. They're being persecuted and they're thanking God for the persecution. This is what the early church looks like. This is what the church today looks like because the same spirit who indwelt them and empowers them indwells us and empowers us. So we step in like they stepped in and it says they celebrated. In chapter four, verse 31, it says that they then stopped and they prayed and the house was shaken and they were filled again with the spirit. And you know what they did? They went out and preached the word of God boldly. Why? Because that's what the spirit does to his people. He fills his people so they might testify and be a witness and share about the goodness and grace and beauty of Jesus. And that's the early church. This undeniable movement of the spirit is not just for the early church. It didn't end on Pentecost. It doesn't end with the disciples. It's the same movement that empowers the church today. It empowers you and your family now, today. That same spirit fills every believer. So when you walk into your place of work, you're filled with that spirit. When you're with your family, you're filled with that spirit. Because it's so easy to think of Pentecost this way. It's easy to look back on Pentecost and think of it as a one-time event, <clears throat> kind of like the parting of the Red Sea. So no matter how many times I go down to the Canal River and pull, you know, like you guys, they pull the staff out of your pockets you always carry around and hold it above your head, I can never part the Canal River. I mean, I try over and over. Now, I'm not sure what's at the bottom of it, so I'm not sure if I'd really want to walk through it, but I try to part it and it doesn't happen. So sometimes I think Pentecost is like that. It's just a one-time thing. It's not the same thing at all. Pentecost is an everyday thing. That same Holy Spirit, that Him, that He fills you, He feel, fills me. And though I might, have a I might not have a tongue of fire above my head, I still don't know German. I can't speak in a random tongue just to help out in a moment where I need to share the gospel. That Holy Spirit still dwells in me. He still dwells in you. You have everything that you need to walk across the street and have a conversation with someone about Jesus. You have everything you need to walk into a cafe or to sit down with a friend and get into a conversation that matters. The Holy Spirit fills you so you can be a witness, a living, active story of the goodness and grace of God through your actions and your words with people. It's a beautiful thing. And next week, we're gonna just sit there and dwell on that for the entire sermon. Another thing that I want us to focus on and think about today is that the Holy Spirit fills us to be witnesses in our families to one another. Whoever's in your circle, your immediate family, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents, your kids, your nephews, God has given you the Spirit to also be a witness there. And when I say that, I mean a witness to one another, that you're sharing the love of Christ with one another. And also, people are watching your family. People are watching you. People know that you claim to be a Christian, and in doing so, their eyes will be glued on you. You are displaying to them who Jesus is and who Jesus isn't by how you treat one another. So a couple thoughts, so that we can be living out this, this mission, even as families. Number one, Let's honor our moms by sharing the love of Christ to her through our actions and our words. Through our actions and our words. So 
dads, kids, grandkids, think about your words when you're talking to your mom or your grandmother. Are they kind? Are they filled with thankfulness and gratefulness? Think about your tone. Think of how often you have kind words with your mom. Are they intentional? You can speak life into your mom with a hug and a kind word. How about your actions? And when I say this, I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to you. Do you jump in? Do you help out? Do you have calluses on your hands just from all the work you do in your job and outside? Or do you also have calluses on your hands because you do work inside the house, helping out, jumping in? Being someone who isn't okay watching your wife carry stuff around, you jump in, you help out, the big things and the little things. I mentioned to a friend of mine some of these thoughts I was gonna be sharing today and she just sent, wrote a bunch of thoughts and said, here's some thoughts I have. So here are some words from a mom to dads and to kids. She said this, Mother's Day is just one day a year, but live like every day is Mother's Day. Be thankful each and every day for what mothers do. Say kind words, not just today, but every day. Being a mom can be a very thankless job. No one thinks to say, mom, thanks for making sure my uniform is clean. Thanks for getting me to school on time. No one thinks of saying to mom, thank you for pushing me to do my best or thank you for loving me during my tantrum or when I talk back. Dads, lead by example. Say thank you to your spouse. Say I love you to your spouse in front of your kids. Offer to help around the house. Not begrudgingly, but with a smile on your face and love in your heart. Honor your moms. Be aware of all that moms do and all that moms sacrifice. Take action, help out. Then practice this over and over again until it just becomes normal and regular and second nature. And finally, maybe, hear these words, maybe, just maybe, find a way to forgive your mom if she's been less than perfect in your eyes. Or perhaps even if she's made life hard on you, find a way to forgive. Because it is guaranteed that she has loved you deep down, even if she wasn't good at saying it out loud. We're called to share the love of Christ to our moms in our actions and our words. Then we're also called to like witness to our families, to testify about the goodness of God to our families. And there's a couple ways I think we can do that that will make us stand out to those who are watching us and looking at us. One would be in moments of confrontation. You're gonna have those. In fact, likely you had one in your car on the way here. Like living life with people means there's gonna be confrontation. There's gonna be conflict. You're gonna bump up against each other. You thought everything was good and then you said that thing and now everything's not good. I mean, you set it in motion. So how do you handle confrontation in your family? Couple thoughts. One, always realize in every confrontation, in every argument, it's never 100% one person's wrong and this person has no fault. If this is you, even if you think it's 5% your fault and that's it, that gives you something to go to them and ask forgiveness for. Be the first one to ask for forgiveness. Be the first one to realize that you're in the wrong. That will set the tone for your family. The forgiveness you've received is the forgiveness that you give. So when they do ask for forgiveness, give forgiveness to them fully and completely. That means it's not begrudgingly giving them forgiveness. You give it fully, there's no resentment. There should be no bitterness. And you don't hold that thing for later to bring it back in a future argument. It 
is gone. We also are witnesses in our families by sharing the love of Christ in moments of loss. So Mother's Day is a unique time to talk about loss. My wife and I, we got married in 1997, and for the first seven years of our marriage, uh, we, just, we were not able to have kids. We went through two miscarriages. One miscarriage was on Valentine's Day, and the next one was on Thanksgiving. So that was just kind of a rare, rare thing. So those holidays just have a little sting to them. And maybe you are a couple that's struggling with miscarriages. Maybe you are a couple that, or a person that knows other couples are struggling with miscarriages. The first one, usually you typically, you just rationalize, like, yeah, everybody has one of those. When you have the second one, then you start wondering, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with us? What did we do? How do we, how do we navigate this? Are we ever going to be able to have kids? And you go down into this, this tunnel, this rabbit hole, this kind of dark, I just remember in those days, my wife just wanted to nurture someone, something, so we ended up buying two huge golden retrievers. We had them in our tiny little house, Sam and Frodo, and uh, our entire house was now filled with fur, and we were coated in hair, and we couldn't keep up with it, but it didn't matter. Like, we were going to take, I was going to take care of her, whatever it took. That's loss. I know before I moved here, I lost my mom to pancreatic cancer. So on days like this, I don't have anyone to call. And some of you are in that same boat. You don't have a mom or a grandmother to call. Like, that's loss. Now, whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, you go through those same things. You cannot know Jesus, Jesus and have loss. You can know Jesus and go through loss. But here's the thing. The way that this becomes a witnessing moment or opportunity, you know in those darkest moments you have a shepherd that grabs a hold of you. You know in those hard moments that you still have eternity to be with Jesus. You know that he's in control of your life and your plans. There's hope in darkness for you because you know Jesus. So it doesn't mean that you pretend like everything's okay. It does not mean that you just blow off loss and pretend like it's not actually painful. It's painful, but there can be hope in pain. There can be peace in dark moments, and you have that. And those who don't know Jesus may not have that. They don't have that. So the way that you can be a witness in your loss is to hold on to Jesus as you walk through those dark moments and those valleys. Moms, I have a particular encouragement for you. So often as a mom, you get, you get so wrapped up in taking care of everyone else that sometimes your voice is just lost. We need to hear your voice. One of the ways that you can do that, one of the ways that you can impact your kids, your grandkids, and future generations is that you become a storyteller. God is doing amazing things in you, and God is doing incredible things through you. I want you to embrace that. I want you to become a storyteller in your home, with your kids, with your grandkids, putting them on your knee. Well, how do you do that? Let me throw out a couple thoughts. One, maybe start a prayer journal, some way of just keeping track of the way you interact with God, and then be willing to open it up every once in a while and have conversations. Show your kids what God's doing in your conversations with him, how he's responding to prayer, how he's growing you and changing you. Another thought, let me grab something. If you're wondering if this is a tackle box, it is a tackle box. So I'm pretty sure as a mom, you'll pick something prettier than this. But one of the things I've done since I was in college is I just keep track of things that remind me about the goodness and grace and beauty of God. And I put them in something. 
I really didn't fish when I was in college, so I got rid of my tackle and I filled up this box with things that God has just faithfully done in my life and in the life of my family. So <clears throat> we could spend the entire afternoon, I could just pull out thing after thing and talk about story after story of all the beautiful things that God does. And some of these things represent really hard moments and some represent beautiful moments. This is a list of kids. When I was in high school, I'd carry this around in my Bible. It was just kids that I had relationships with in random classes. And I would pray for them. It was my prayer list. And when I would have the opportunity to share the gospel with them, I would just put a check and thank the Lord for the opportunity to share with them. It was a, an accountability thing that I do with the Lord. This is a, a badge that my wife got when she graduated from nursing school in 2014. We still had little kids in the house. I was working full time. These were hard years for us as a family. And God got us through those things. Both our marriage and our kids didn't suffer as we went through these hard, hard years. So I, this is a thankfulness thing to God for that. One more. So you can't see it from where you are, but this is a tiny little like West Virginia state thing. So we now are going to be mountaineers. My son is heading to West Virginia in the fall. This was a big thing. Like, Picking your college and sending your kid off is a huge deal. So that's, that's, we're in the process of that, and we feel that moment a lot. The point of this, moms, is what can you do to create a way for your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your husband, maybe even your parents, to see the beauty of God in and through your life? This was my mom's Bible. And I didn't expect to have feelings in this. Um, this is my mom's Bible, and she taped it up. If you've seen my Bibles, I tape my Bibles up too. Hers are much nicer and they're color-coded. Um, but when I lost her, I got her Bible. And I can open up this Bible, and she has notes all throughout the Bible. I even have some of her old sermon outlines in her Bible. So I can go to a passage, and I can see what I got out of the passage, and then I can go back and see what my mom got out of the passage. And those are cool moments I still get to have with my mom. What it does is it demonstrates to me that my mom had a relationship with the Lord. And she passes down that faith to me through moments like this. So I know on my shelf, I have multiple Bibles that are sitting there that one day I will pass on to my kids and my grandkids with all my thoughts, with things that God was teaching me. Moms, become a storyteller. Your voice matters so much. God's using you in ways you can't even imagine. So figure out ways to capture that and to pass it on. In about 2013, uh, we had, our, I had my neighbor come over and she moved here from India when she was about seven or eight. And she sat down with Jen and I and she just looked at us and said, so I don't, she was Hindu. She said, I don't understand how you parent the way you parent. You're so different than the way we parent. And the way you guys treat each other and the way you interact is so different. And she just said, what is it that you believe? I want whatever you believe. So we got to sit and share the gospel with her. And she received Christ right there and started coming to church. We didn't even know that we were witnessing. It was not intentional. We were just trying to live like Jesus with one another. People are watching you all the time. They're taking note. Live in such a way that you are an active living witness for the incredible love and beauty of Jesus. Pentecost empowers the church. 
but Pentecost also empowers every single family and every single family member with the love of Christ to give and to share. So when you're living your life, live your life filled with the Spirit. It's an undeniable reality that started at Pentecost and it continues every single day, even into your families, into your conversations. When you walk across the street or you walk into your living room, it's an incredible moment for the Holy Spirit to fill you that you are being testified to about the beauty of Christ and you testify to others about the beauty of Christ. So moms, happy Mother's Day. We love you. I have another video for you. If you think you're not making an impact, watch these little ones. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.